You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Starting in verse 1, I'll read through verse 4. I'm reading from the NIV translation, by the way, and as always, the notes are on the Version Bible app, or if you're watching through the church online, uh, through our website, you can grab the notes there as well. Jesus says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Let's pray together one more time. Father, I thank you so much for everyone who is able to gather here today and those watching online. I pray that right now, Holy Spirit, that you will do what only you can do, that you will capture not just our ears and our minds, but also our hearts and our entire being. We are in desperate need today of good news that only you can truly deliver to us. And so I pray that you will do that right now. And it's in Jesus' name I pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, back in March, my wife and I watched a movie entitled The Hidden Life. And if you've not had a chance to watch it, I would encourage you to do it. It's a Terrence Malick film, and it's about this farmer who you see in the picture, a man by the name of Fran who lives in Austria at the beginning of World War II. And because uh, Franz stands for what God stands for, because he practices the way of Jesus, what happens in this movie is he resists, resists loyalty to Hitler, refuses to fight in the Nazi army, and as a result, this comes as a great cost uh, to him and his family. And at one point in the movie, after Franz has been thrown into prison for refusing to fight for Hitler. Um, He leaves behind his wife, he leaves behind his uh, family, his young kids, and they're having to basically work on the farm all by themselves. And in this scene, this cynical, kind of dark prison inmate eventually shows up to Franz's cell, and he begins to taunt him. And he says, why don't you just give up? Like, why don't you just quit? Why don't you stop trying to do all of the stuff that you are doing? Because clearly, your God is not rewarding you. Like, like clearly, uh, you're not being rewarded. You are being rejected. He says, look around. He says, Franz, you're all alone. Your friends aren't here. Your family's not here. Nobody sees what it is that you are doing or what it is that you stand for. And in response, in this very powerful moment in the movie, this small, obscure farmer who has lost everything, this man who's living this hidden life, looks and he says, I want you to know, I don't do what I do because the world sees me. I do what I do because God sees me. And as I thought about that this past week, I thought, man, that's what Jesus is getting at today in Matthew chapter 6. It's the reality that, that what should drive a disciple of Jesus is not the eyes of the world, but what should drive the disciple of Jesus is the eyes of our Father in heaven who sees in secret sees you. He sees you in your hidden life even when nobody else sees what is going on. And this is what we are going to talk about today, but before I show you what this looks like for us in 2020, I just want to remind you that Matthew 6 is located in the context of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most famous sermons ever preached. 
And if you remember, the whole point of this sermon is Jesus is trying to show us how to flourish as human beings. He's showing us a new way of being human. It's a way that is countercultural to the way the world lives. But Jesus says that if we will live this way, if we will take his words seriously and apply them to our lives, we will experience a peace and a joy and a satisfaction and a fulfillment that the world knows nothing about. And so if you remember from last week, Jesus said the way that we experience this is not primarily through doing a bunch of good stuff. It's not primarily just about rules. Uh, Jesus in this sermon, he's not really primarily after behavior modification, but what he's after is heart transformation. He is trying to get you to live in such a way that your outside matches your inside. He's trying to get you to live a wholehearted life, a wholehearted spirituality. This is why in chapter 5, verse 20, before Jesus gets into this section, and we can put it on the screen for you, but Jesus says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, and by the way, when we think of Pharisees, we think like really bad dudes. Pharisees in this culture were actually not considered to be bad dudes. They were the most moral people in their culture. They were the ones who were like, we're taking this country back for God. They were the ones that you would have looked at and been like, I want to be like that person, okay? And Jesus says in here, I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you certainly will not enter in the kingdom of heaven. Now, at first glance, it seems like what Jesus is doing here is intensifying morality. It seems like what Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to go, if you want to experience my kingdom, if you want to go to heaven, you've got to outmoralize the moralizers. That's what it seems like Jesus is saying. That's pretty discouraging. But, but, but in reality, when you drive in, please hear me today, what Jesus is doing is he is warning you against a performative spirituality. He is warning us against a surface-level religion that says what matters most is what I look like on the outside, not who I really am on the inside. And you see, because Jesus knows this is a temptation for all of us, because he knows that we all have a temptation to, to care more about looking good than being good. He wants to drop us a line today. And by the way, I would say this, if you have been in church for a long time, you need this message more than anybody else. Because what I will tell you is what I've discovered in my own life is the more you're in church, the easier it is to play the game, to learn the religious language, to do all the religious stuff, and not even think about the why behind why you're doing what you are doing. Jesus says you have to be very, very careful not to do this. In verse 1, if you just look back with me, chapter 6, verse 1, because Jesus knows we're all tempted to, to do this whole thing, this whole performative spirituality thing. He says in verse 1, be careful. And oh Lord, sit up. Pay attention. Watch out. Be careful. Be careful for what? Verse 1, be careful of practicing your righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them. For... If you do, if you do this good stuff in order to be seen by others, what does he say next? Look at this. You will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, what in the world is Jesus saying here? Well, just to be clear, what Jesus is not saying is Jesus is not saying that you should not do good works. In verse 2, we know that because Jesus goes on and he says, when you give to the needy. Or I think a better translation is the King James Version, where it says, when you give alms. Which, yes, means given to the needy, but it also means uh, just, you know, serving others or doing good works for the benefit of someone else to, to help them. And so Jesus does not say, if you do good works, he says, when you do good works, meaning if you are a disciple of Jesus, Jesus actually assumes that you're going to give to the poor. 
He just assumes you're going to do that. He assumes that you're going to serve others. He assumes you're going to do good works. This is why James, later on in the New Testament, says, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, but you don't do good works, you're not a follower of Jesus. So we just need to be mindful of that. Some of us, we grew up in a legalistic culture, and we get real nervous when we think about this idea of good works. Jesus wants us to do good works. So he's not saying in here, don't do good works. Secondly, what we know he's not saying in this passage He's also not saying that if you do good works, that you should hide them from other people. And you say, well, where, where do you get that from? Well, a lot of people, you know, they, they read this first line that says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, and they put a period there. They stop. And they cut off the second part of the sentence, which says, in order to be seen by them. If you, as I said earlier, the Sermon on the Mount is just that. It's a sermon, which means whenever you come to Matthew chapter 6 and you hear Jesus say what he just said, remember just two or three minutes earlier, he said what he says in Matthew chapter 5. And what did he say in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16? We can put it on the screen for you, I do believe. He says, you are the light of the world, therefore do what? Let your light shine before others so that they may actually see your good deeds. And here's the key. And glorify your Father in heaven. That's the litmus test. So if you're trying to figure out today, should I tell people about this cool Jesus-y thing that I'm doing? Like, like, should I actually post this on social media? Like, should I go public with this or should I keep it private? Here's the question you have to ask yourself. Am I doing what I'm about to do for the glory of God or am I doing it for the glory of myself? Am I doing it for the glory of God or am I doing it for the glory of myself? I'm sure some of you are well aware of by now that... Uh, our president, uh, Donald Trump, is once again under uh, a lot of criticism, facing a lot of heat because of this picture right here uh, where he stood with the Bible in front of the St. John's Church in Washington, D.C. And what's interesting to me is he's not just facing heat from people on the left. Like pastors are upset about this picture. Uh, evangelicals are upset about this picture. Republicans are upset about this picture. In fact, uh, the Republican Senator Ben Sass says that he was upset about this because, I quote, it is a self-serving political stunt. Now, whether or not that's true, I don't know. It's not my place. I don't feel like to, to judge his motive. But here's what I do know, that according to Jesus, this is a temptation for all of us. To do what we do, not for the glory of God, but for the glory of self. There is a temptation in all of us, Jesus said, to practice our righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them. And so please get me today, especially if you've been in church for a while. Last week, what Jesus was really after is he said, you know what my concern is? My concern is your sins behind the bad deeds. But this week, Jesus says, I have another concern, and it's this. My concern is that there are sins behind your good deeds. In other words, what, what Jesus is saying here is as much as I care about what you do, I care about why you are doing it. Now, I don't know about you, but this has been super convicting for me this week. Because I'll be honest, I'm not walking around doing drugs. I'm not looking at pornography. I'm not beating my wife. I'm not cheating on my wife. I tithe 10% of my gross income to the church. Uh, I give to the poor. I help the I pray for healing. Over, I mean, I do all sorts of good things, and it's easy for me, therefore, to go, I'm good. Those are the people that have to be worried about whether or not they're going to the kingdom of heaven, but not me. But then I look at this, and I'm like, hang on a second. I shouldn't be so quick to just declare myself as the winner and other people as the loser. 
And, and so, you know, what's been convicting to me is, I mean, I'll use this as an example. Think about what I'm doing right now. I'm teaching the Bible. Now, I'll get some feedback. Is teaching the Bible a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing. Very good. Get the answer right, Robert. Teaching the Bible is a good thing. So here's, here's the deal. Think about this. What I am doing right now, and I'm not saying I'm doing it well, but what I'm attempting to do is a good thing. Here's the problem. None of you have a clue what my, what my motivation is behind why I'm doing what I'm doing. So my motivation could be that I just love Jesus and I love the church and I want you to love Jesus. Or I could just be doing this because I want money. Just being honest, I could. I could be like, you know what, I, I'm, I'm decent at public speaking. I've got some managerial skills. What I'm going to do is I'm going to try to find a career where I can just get up and speak and make money doing just that. Or even worse, I could be doing what I'm doing because whenever I stand on a stage and I get other people to look at me, it gives me a sense of self-worth and significance. Could be. Now, if I can be honest with you, there might be a little bit of all of that inside of me. I think on a good day, I'm up here for all the right reasons, but then there's sometimes there's some not so good reasons and right reasons that are inside of me that get me up here to preach. And before you like judge me, I would just encourage you to look at your own heart and ask yourself, when is the last time you went to work on a Monday morning and said, I am only here for the purpose of human flourishing for the glory of God, right? I am guessing, if you can be honest, there are on your good days, you're like, yeah, I'm absolutely here just for the purpose of human flourishing for the glory of God. But then there are probably a lot of days where you're like, man, I'm just here for the money. I'm just here because I can't find a better job anywhere else. I'm just here because I'm working for the weekend, man, just trying to survive so I can support my hobby. Right? And so, look, I don't say that to beat you up, but, but, but what Jesus is getting after here is he says, look, the question you have got to start asking yourself, religious people, is not just what am I doing, but why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I doing this good deed? Why am I volunteering to help? Why am I serving on the hospitality team? Why am I leading a missional community? Why am I giving of my time, my talents, and my treasures? And so what you have to see this morning is this more than Matthew 6 being a teaching on giving to the poor, and it is about that, but more than this being a teaching about giving to the poor, this is a teaching about heart motivation. This is a teaching on the reality that behind every single good thing you do, there is either a bad motive or a good motive. There's either a negative motive that leads to death, or there is a positive motive that leads to life. And therefore, with that in mind, Jesus says, I want to just help you see where maybe you are today. And so he starts out with this negative emotion. And in verse 2, look what he says. He says, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. We don't think people actually did that, by the way. Like, when they're about to give. Um, but like the giving box at the time was actually made of like a ram's horn, which could have been like used for a trumpet. And so people would, they would go and they would drop their coins. When they would drop their coins, like it would make a loud noise. And he's saying like, don't go like sound the trumpet, be like, one coin. Ding, 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 ding. Anybody else looking? Two coins. Ding, 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 right? Or whatever else. Like, hey, like, don't draw attention to your giving. Don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets to be honored by others. Now, this word that Jesus uses here, that you see the word hypocrites, this is the first of 17 times Jesus uses this word in the scriptures. Typically, he uses it to describe religious people, and it comes from the Greek word hypocrites, which literally means to be an actor on a stage. So when Jesus says, don't be a hypocrite, what is he actually saying? He's saying, don't show off. 
don't do something just to get noticed by others. Why? Because verse 2, if you do something just to get noticed, if you do a good deed in order to get the approval of others, look what he says. Listen to this, guys. Truly, I tell you, you have received your reward in full. In other words, if you're just doing something because you want to get the attention from others, you'll probably get the attention of others. You'll get a pat on the back. You'll get a Facebook mention. You might even get a thank you note from a pastor, but that's all you'll get. And though it'll make you happy for a second, it will be fleeting. The reward will come and it will go. Therefore, verse 3, look what Jesus says next. When you give to the needy, again, Jesus is assuming we will do this. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Put another way, don't pat yourself on the back. Don't congratulate yourself. Don't do what you do to impress others, and don't do what you do to impress yourself. This is the freedom of self-forgetfulness. It's like you literally, when you're maturing in Christ, you come to a place where like, you're doing good works, and other people notice it before you do. Isn't that crazy? Like, they're like, when you did that thing, that was awesome. What thing are you talking about? Like, oh, I didn't even think about that. Like, that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about growing in humility, not congratulating or rewarding yourself. And he says, look, if you do this, verse 4, He says, so that your giving may be in secret. Then, look what happens. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, if you've been sleeping during the first portion of the sermon, listen to this. Because to me, this is the most fascinating part of the sermon. Because I've got a master's in theology. Never thought about this until this past week. Notice in verse 4, Jesus is not down on rewards. Did you notice that? Notice how Jesus doesn't say, you should do the right thing because that's just the right thing to do. Nor does he say, you should just do the right thing because I said so. Or that's what God would do, so you should do it. Jesus is way more realistic than that. He knows that there's a motivation oftentimes that we need to do the right thing. And, and so Jesus here, he's, he's not down on reward. Here's the thing. He just thinks, and please hear me. That if the reward you are after is the applause and accolades of others, whether it be your peers, whether it be pastors or the public, if that's what you're after, he's just saying you're setting your sights way too low. Because again, notice, he says, if you do good works in order to be seen by others, to get the, you know, the applause, he says, you'll get your reward. You'll probably get a pat on the back. You'll get an attaboy. That's awesome. Way to go. You might get the thank you note, right? You might get the affirmation of the world. But as you already know, guys, that's not enough to sustain you, is it? It's not enough. It's never enough to fulfill us. But on the flip side, Jesus says, if you do what you do, not to be seen by others, but because you know you are seen by your Father, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Here's the question. What is the reward? What is the reward? Scholars will debate on this, about what all does Jesus mean by here when your father sees in secret, he will reward you. They all debate on what all this can mean, but one thing they all agree on, and I agree on as well, and you have to get this today, is the greatest reward is knowing that even if your friends don't see you, even if your pastors don't see you, even if your parents don't see you, the greatest reward is knowing that your father in heaven sees you. He sees you. And here's why this is so important. Um, the actor Will Smith, you guys familiar with him? Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? Get jiggy with it? Anybody? Some feedback, something. All right, Big Willie style, there you go. His albums were not that great, but they, I think, still sold a lot. And so 
Um, yeah, Will Smith, big time actor. He was in an interview recently. Listen to what he said. In his interview, he said that pretty much everything he did in his career, he did it in order to get the love and attention that he never got from his father. Think about that. Everything he said I ever did in my career, it was me performing in order to get the attention and love I never got from my earthly father. He goes on to say in the interview and said, by the way, it didn't work. It didn't work. And as I thought about that this past week, I thought, you know, here's the truth. Guys, we all have longings in our heart that mansions and fame will not satisfy. You need to hear that today. We all have longings in our heart that mansions and fame, as Will Smith testifies to, will not satisfy. Why? Because deep down inside of us, we all have a longing to know that our Father sees us, He loves us, and He approves of us. This is why, by the way, about every five minutes, you know what my kids say to me? Daddy, watch. Daddy, watch. We were at a pool yesterday. Daddy, watch me go off the diving board. Daddy, watch me go down the slide. Daddy, watch me do this front flip. Daddy, watch me do this back flip. Daddy, watch me eat this pizza pizza. Daddy, watch me play this video game. Daddy, watch me jump off the slide. Daddy, I mean, it's just, watch. What, what is that all about? Think about it. What is that all about? You know what that's about? It's about a God-given desire to be seen. It's about a God-given desire for approval from your parents, particularly from a father. And here's what you have to understand today. Please hear me, guys. If you do not get this growing up, particularly if you don't get this from a father, you will grow up looking for approval and affirmation in all the wrong places. You will grow up with this deep father wound, and therefore you will demand the attention of others. You'll demand attention from your kids. I've got to be a great dad. Please tell me I'm great. You will demand attention from your spouse and smother them. You'll demand the attention of people on Facebook or Snapchat or Instagram. Or you just always got to put yourself in front of other people. And if that's where you are, I'm not shaming you. Again, you were born with a need to be seen. You were born with a need for approval. The problem is not that you want to be seen. The problem is not that you need approval. The problem is that you are looking to the wrong places to get what only God can give you. If this is where you are this morning, if you find yourself living in the tyranny of living for the approval of others, if you find yourself just running on this hamster wheel, you know how exhausting it is. Always running. Need more affirmation. Need more affirmation. Need more accolades. Need more approval. Tell me I'm amazing. Tell me I'm amazing. It is exhausting, and when you don't get it, it crushes you. And what you need to know today is if that is where you are, I'm telling you right now, more than you need to be seen by others, you need to know your Heavenly Father sees you. And not just does He see you, He loves you. In Psalm 149.4, it says that God delights in you. In Zephaniah 3.17, it says He rejoices over you with singing. I just want to ask you, I want to pause for a moment. Did you hear what I just said? And did you understand what I just said? The creator of the universe who holds the world together delights in you, rejoices over you. I just want to ask you this morning, do you believe that? 
I almost feel I could walk off stage right now. We could just spend some time just asking them, do you really believe that? And if not, let's get on our faces before the Lord and say, God, please help me to see that that is true. Help me to feel that. I'm really tempted to do that. Some of you might wish I would do that right now. Maybe I should. I'll look back later and wish I would have. But I'm going to keep going. But I want you to think about that. Do you really believe what I just said? That God delights in you. That he rejoices over you. In Luke chapter 3, there's this powerful moment in Jesus' life. Think about this. There's this powerful moment. Jesus is just about to begin his public ministry. And before he begins his public ministry, he is baptized. He comes out of the water. Does anyone remember, what does God say to Jesus when he comes out of the water? This is my son with whom I am well pleased. What is that all about? You know what that's about? Please hear this today. This is so important. God the Father knew that in order for Jesus to live the life that he needed to live, public affirmation wouldn't be enough. You know why public affirmation is not enough? Because they love you one moment and they'll crucify you the next. And so what the Father says to Jesus is this, I need to make sure that you know I love you. You need to know I love you and I am for you and I am with you because not if, but when you're rejected, when you are spit out by the world, because the world is, you're always this far away from being spit out by others, aren't you? One mess up, one screw up, and you are out. You are, you are cast out of society. So not if you're rejected, but when you are rejected, what God wants you to know is when you're abandoned, when you see the love I have for you, guess what? It will not devastate you when other people don't love you back. It won't devastate you. It won't. And the reason that's important, guys, listen, is the same words that the Father spoke over Jesus at his baptism, according to the scriptures, the same words he speaks over you today. Do you realize that if you are a disciple of Jesus, the Bible is clear, Jesus is your brother? You ever thought about that? And if Jesus is your brother, guess what that means you are? You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. And therefore, here's the invitation today, and we're about done, but here's the invitation. The invitation from God to you today, this could be a special day for you. The invitation is to stop listening to competing voices in your head. To stop listening to the voices of a disappointed parent. To stop listening to the voices of your past. To stop listening to the voice of shame that's diminishing you. It's tearing you down. It's breaking you down. Stop listening to that and start listening to the overriding voice of love. Listen to your father speaking into your heart. You are my son. You are my daughter. With you, I am well pleased. Guys, this is what frees us from the fear of man. This is what leads to the flourishing that every single one of us in here are longing for. It is what leads to happiness and wholeness that nothing in the world can give you. And guys, listen, you know I'm not making this up because some of you are there right now. Some of you are at the end of your rope today. And what you desperately need is to see a really big God who sees you and he loves you and he delights in you. He doesn't just love you, by the way, he likes you. You know what I'm saying? Like some of you, maybe you had parents. Like I knew my dad life loved me. He just didn't want to spend time with me. He's just too busy. God's not too busy for you. He loves you and he likes you. He loves you with a never giving up, 
always present, unconditional, and unstoppable love. Guys, I'm telling you right now, when this finally sinks into your heart, it will change everything. This is why in 1 John 4.18, the one who called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. I was talking to my wife about that this morning. Can you imagine knowing that God loves you so much that you would refer to yourself as, I'm the disciple whom God loves. Some of us don't feel like God loves us. John was so convinced. He called, that was his title. Who are you? I'm Jared. I'm the, I'm the disciple Jesus loves. That's the title he gave himself because he was so convinced of God's love for him. And here's what he says in 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. You see what John is saying? He's saying this. When you finally will reckon with who Jesus is and what he has done for you, fear is going to diminish in your life. I want to say that again. When you finally reckon with who Jesus is and what he has done, fear is going to begin to fade away in your life. You're going to come to a place where honestly, I think you're honestly going to come to a place where you're going to say, you know what, because God loves me, who cares what these other people think about me? Who cares? And by the way, I don't mean that in an unhealthy way. Like, I don't care what my kids think about me or my spouse thinks. I don't care what you guys. That's, that's, that's narcissism. That's pride. That's destructive. I'm talking about coming to a place where you're not defined by what the other person thinks about you. I don't have to have you be okay with me for me to be okay. That's what I'm talking about. And the best way that I can try to explain this is going to be such a silly example, but it's the best one I can come up with, and then we'll end today, is whenever I was in fourth grade, a kid by the name of Evan moved into Paragould School District. And Evan was the most popular kid in school from day one. Now, in fourth grade, Evan and I became really good friends. I hung out all the time. I was at his house. He was at my house. We lived pretty close to each other. But in fifth grade, he made the basketball team, and I didn't. Felt like I got overlooked. It's like, man, I could have beat some of these kids on the team, but I didn't get picked. Evan got picked. And as a result, he began to hang out with all the basketball players. And we didn't hang out anymore. And honestly, like, it crushed me because Evan was my best friend. And I got left behind, man. And so, really, to be honest, like, fifth or ninth grade year was horrific for me. And I was constantly getting in trouble at school, constantly getting pushed out of class, constantly getting in trouble with the principals and everything because I was trying so hard to impress anybody that would just watch me. And I would try to use my humor to do it at the expense of teachers or anybody else, just craving, needing attention from anybody who would give it to me. Now, here's what's interesting. In 10th grade, Evan showed back up one day when I was in the cafeteria. Out of nowhere, he just said, hey, dude, let's hang out tonight. I was like, blown away, couldn't believe it, you know, because he's still, every year he was voted most popular, most athletic, best looking, all of that. I was like, you got to be kidding me, right? I'm 130 pounds, you know, dripping wet at that time, big glasses, goofy hair and all that. But Evan wanted to hang out with me. And so 10th or 11th, 12th grade year, we became best friends again. And you know what happened when Evan and I became best friends? is I honestly came to a place where I was like, I don't feel like I have to impress everybody else in my school anymore. Because the most popular kid, the most glorious kid, says he approves of me. Now, as I thought about that this past week, I thought, here's the reality, guys. God is the most glorious being in the universe. There is none greater. There is none equal. You think of the person you would like to impress the most and realize God created that person. And he looks at you and says, I love you, I delight in you. Here's the the great thing about the gospel. The gospel is, just like that picture of me in the cafeteria, the gospel is you're sitting in the cafeteria all alone, you're a mess. Nobody's looking at you, but God looks at you and says, I see you. 
I see everything about you. I see even the stuff you'd hide from everybody else. And I love you. I want you. Let's hang out. And by the way, I'll do whatever I can to get you. I'll send my own son, Jesus Christ, to come and shed his blood for the forgiveness of your sins just to show you how much I love you in order to bring you into relationship with me. That is the gospel. And so this morning, I just want to ask you, do you believe that? Whether you're here or watching at home, do you believe that gospel? Some of you, maybe you feel out today that God is distant. He is not distant. He is near to you. He sees you. He sees you. He sees you serve the poor. He sees you serving behind the scenes. He sees whenever you love your kids or your spouse the way he's called you to. He sees you whenever you choose purity over lust. He sees when you make these decisions to do the right thing, even when nobody else sees. He sees it and he loves you. You know what that means? That means your sacrifices are worth it. They're worth it. So do not grow weary in doing good. That said, I want to invite our band to come forward. I just want you to stand. I'm going to pray a prayer over you. We're going to sing another song together, and then we will uh, dismiss. And I just want to let you know that if you're here today and you need prayer, uh, I would love for you to come, and, and I would love to pray over you. I'll wear my mask, so I won't be spreading anything to you. Um, yeah, maybe some of you today, I just have a sense, you just need prayer, man. And maybe the prayer is, I don't know what it is, Jerry, but I just do not feel that God sees me and he loves me. And I'm trying so dang hard to impress people. I don't even know who I'm trying to impress, but it's killing me. Maybe for some of you here today, you're like, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I'm not a disciple, man. I've been playing this religious game, trying to impress others or just do the good things so I don't go to hell. I've been told that's what I need to do. But honestly, like my heart is not at a place where this is about my relationship with God. I don't have a relationship. So whatever it may be today, if you need prayer for anything, I would encourage you to come. You can connect with me during this song or you can connect with me afterwards. I'd love to pray with you. That said, um, let's go ahead and let's just bow. Let's um, examine our hearts for a moment before the Lord. And let's allow God through his spirit to minister to our hearts. I want to remind you today that if you, right now, as you bring your heart before God, if you're feeling guilt or shame, that's not the voice of God. That's your own voice. That's the voice of maybe your parents. That's the voice of maybe a coach. That's the voice of a teacher. That's the voice of maybe a spouse or someone who's already spoken destructive words into your life or an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend. The voice of God today is compassionate and it's tender and it's kind. It's patient. It's caring. It's inviting you into life. Father, I thank you so much. For everyone who is here today, I pray that right now through your Holy Spirit, whether they're at home watching or here, that you administer to each heart in a unique and special way. And it's in Christ's name that I pray and ask these things. Amen.